The food at that restaurant was out of this world. Her playing of Rachmaninoff's Second Symphony was out of this world. Now, what do people mean when they say that? They don't mean the food tasted like it had been scraped off the surface of the moon or the music sounded like the creaking of the International Space Centre. Out of this world obviously means in a good sense, doesn't it? Out of this world, it's better than anything I've ever experienced. Out of this world. Well, this evening, we're thinking about something truly out of this world. Let's look at 1 John 3, verse 1. Well, we're going to be in 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. 1 John 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Or a bit more literally, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Or even more literally, the word originally meant of what country is the love, this love the Father has lavished on us. Of what country? In other words, you don't get love like that round here. This is foreign to us, this sort of love. Or in other words, this sort of love is out of this world, I think is the best way of putting Chapter three, verse one, out of this world love. How is it out of this world love? Is out of this world in its purpose and in its desire. In the Roman Empire, when obviously this was written, rich, childless people would sometimes adopt, but not like now. It wasn't because they wanted a child. In fact, they didn't adopt a child. They would usually adopt a mature young man. And they they choose one who had shown himself good and reliable and a worthy person, a decent person, noble. And the idea was this person would carry on your family name. In fact, I said they would. It would often be single men who would do this because they hadn't got anyone to carry on the family name. And they hadn't got anyone to inherit their estate. And they didn't want it all to be lost or spoilt, so they would find the best and adopt that person. And the fortunate young man would receive the family name and the wealth and the estate. Now, of course, today adoption is different. It's great. It's a, it's a godlike thing to adopt a child. And often people take someone from difficult circumstances. Well, nearly always because the person's either an orphan or for some reason not able to be with his or her parents and give that child a new home. So, yes, we could say adoption today is better than adoption in Roman times, but there are still people it's very difficult for adoption agencies to place in a home. When I was a teacher, one of my pupils, his mother was a drug addict and he got passed from foster carer to foster carer and none of them kept him. Because he was too difficult. He was too scarred by the things that had happened in his life. And he would just get passed from one to another. I used to think, what he so needs is someone to adopt him, to give him that security. But people usually don't want a child like that. But chapter 3, verse 1. Out of this world, love, God saw you and he saw your sins. And he saw the dregs of your heart. And he saw just how opposite to him in your in his holiness you are. And he decided to 
adopt you. It's out of this world love in its costliness as well. I've got some friends who adopted and they went through a difficult process with adoption agencies. It was costly emotionally. And I couldn't. Well, I don't know how much and I couldn't begin to describe to you how much it cost them emotionally. It was costly financially. They traveled to Ethiopia and adopted children from Ethiopia. They had to adapt, do major adaptations to their house because apparently the house is fine. If you have biological children, we'll put them where you want. But adoptive children, their house had to be adapted at significant cost. Adopting is costly. But there has been no cost in the world like this. Here is out of this world love. It's literally out of this world. The son of God came from out of this world. And he came into this world to give his life. Now, there's something very odd here about this cost for God to adopt. Have you thought of this? What was the cost for God to adopt? Here is God. What does he give? Well, store that in your mind, because I'm sure you know the answer. And then think of this. What sort of people normally adopt? Now, I'm sure there are many reasons for adopting, but I would guess the most common one is people who have no child adopt. Here is God and he has a son and he's supremely satisfied in him and he couldn't ask for a better son. He doesn't need more sons. He has no lack. He has no need. Yet out of love, what does he give? He gives his son. He gives him up to death so he could adopt us as sons. What manner of love, verse one, the father has lavished on us out of this world love. Out of this world love, that secondly, here's the second thing this evening. It sets our identity, sets our identity. Still in verse one. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's what we are. Now. I was going to say I'm going to be controversial now, but it's probably not controversial at Hollywell. Hillsong. Have you heard of Hillsong? What a conundrum Hillsong are. There is this outfit or group of churches that don't get your teaching from them. They're not reliable. Don't get your idea of worship from them. Their idea of worship, well, it looks to me like it's performance and entertainment and show. And that, if you think about it, is not worship at all. And yet, why do I say the conundrum that Hillsong are? Because sometimes they produce something worth singing and uh, I was going to choose it this morning. Then I changed that. And then I thought we'll have it this evening. I thought I've changed things enough for the musicians. Let's leave it alone. Because they have this song. I am who you say I am. I love that song because it's such an important truth. And that's exactly what verse one is saying. I am who you say I am. What love of the father that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. As that song says, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am, because I am who you say I am. If God calls us his children, then that's who we are. It's well worth taking note, by the way, of what the Bible calls us, of who the Bible says we are. Um, I think that we miss a lot of the richness of what the Bible says, because what do we call ourselves? Oh, Christians. Well, that's a good name. 
but the Bible says a lot more. You say, yeah, believers. Yes, but the Bible says a lot more than that. Actually, it's only three times in the Bible it calls us Christians, and it's a good name to call us. But the Bible has a richness in what it calls us. And we miss out on something of the richness of our identity if we don't spot these. So, for example, one John so far has called us those who know God and those who are in Christ and those who are in the light. That's what we're mainly described as so far in one John. But chapter three onwards, it changes and we're mainly described as those who are born of God. So take notice of how you're described in the Bible. Take notice of the names it gives you and let them seep into your consciousness of who you are, what your identity is. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, you're born of God. And I think this is the pinnacle. I think this is the best description of us. Child of God. Now, it suffers from a problem. What's the problem? The problem is we're so familiar with it. So I used used to take assemblies in a school not very far from here. And at the end of assembly, the head would say to the children, close your eyes. And then she would say, father, and give a little speech telling the children what good children they should be or some motivational speech. But it was all begun with father at the beginning. There's someone out there we call father, as if it's a common thing that anyone can call him father. It's fairly obvious. Whereas it's the most astounding claim you could make to speak to God and call him father. The creator of the universe, Everest, comes from him and the Pacific Ocean and the sun and sunflowers and the bees that pollinate them and the colours that they're made of and the human brain that can understand all these things and it's all come from him it has its origin in him and where is he now well he's on the throne and what's around him now well you say there's angels around him and what are they doing well they're worshiping him and as they worship him how are they described in isaiah 6 as not even daring to look at him and we dare to come and speak to him as our father. And we can because we are who he says we are. And he says you're his child. There was once a Cornishman called Billy Bray. Some of you might have heard of Billy Bray. He was a tin miner. So he was poor, but he was also a big character. And more importantly, he was a Christian. And one day, I don't know why, he was going to the house of the local aristocrats. So he marched up to the front, and I'm imagining as having these pillars and having a great big oak door, and he banged on the oak door, and someone looked out and said, you, go around to the tradesman's entrance. Because, of course, someone, a tin miner, wouldn't be allowed in the front door of the aristocrat's house. Go around to the tradesman's entrance. And Billy Bray said, no, I won't. I'm a son of the king. So I'm coming in the front door. Now, it's not the right application of 1 John 3. Don't try to get into Buckingham Palace on the basis of this. But it is the right identity. He got a grip of what his identity was. I'm a son of the king. So don't let the world try to set your identity. It often is, isn't it? It's always trying to do so. Since the summer, the big emphasis has been your identity is your skin colour. For years, the big 
the big emphasis has been your identity is whatever your sexual urges are. The world has ludicrous ways of trying to set your identity. But don't let it because the world is ignorant. This is still verse one. Verse one. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. How ignorant the world is. It didn't even recognize the eternal son of God, Jesus. The world doesn't even know who the one who rose from the dead is. It's just plain ignorance. So it won't get your identity right. So don't let it tell you who you are. Don't let it shape your idea of who you are. Children, even at school, all the time, the world will be trying to shape your idea of who you are and it will get it totally wrong. God sets your identity. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus, your identity is I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Out of this world, love sets our identity and thirdly, determines our future. Determines our future. Now we can move on to verse two. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. On the 21st of June, 1982, the boy was born. And him being born into that family set his future. Can you guess who he was? 21st of June, 1982. William, Prince William. Being born into that family and being born into having uh, having that father, it set his future. He's the future king. Now, in a sense, there are thousands of possible answers you could have given, couldn't you? Because I presume there were thousands of boys born on the 21st of June, 1982. And in a sense, for every birth, what family you're born into determines your future, at least to a very large extent. But it's especially true of new birth. It's especially true of being born of God. It determines your future. So verse two says, now we are children of God now, but there's more to come. There's more to come. This is the same truth as in a verse I really like in Romans eight. I'll read to you from Romans eight, verse 19. Romans 8 verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, what on earth does that mean? The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Aren't we already sons of God? By the way, male and female are sons of God. Um, The reason we're called sons is because back then it was sons who inherited and all of God's children, male and female, inherit. It's a statement about us being on a level, far from pushing out women. It's it's levelling us all up, in a sense. Aren't we already sons of God? Well, yes, we are. So what does it mean when it says the sons of God to be revealed? Aren't we already revealed? What what What's going to be revealed? Well, it's a bit like this. And I think I've used this illustration before. So if you remember it, bear with it. When I was a boy, probably when I was a teenager, I used to like buying car magazines, finding out about cars. And I remember once seeing Performance Car Magazine. It had across the front cover these big words, scoop, this big word, big letters, scoop. And it said they'd got pictures of 
the next Ferrari. They'd seen it on Ferrari's test circuit. So I thought, oh, great, I'll buy that one. Bought the magazine, looked inside. What a disappointment. There was this scruffy looking car that didn't look impressive at all. It didn't look like a Ferrari. What had happened? Well, all of the the engine was there. The design had been done. All of the internal things. I'm not an engineer, so I just call them things were in place. And but they put this scruffy old body on it. Ferrari had because they don't want car magazines getting pictures of it. They want it revealed when they are going to reveal it. The car was all designed, all ready to go, being tested, but it was in this scruffy old body. Now, that's rather like us, isn't it, fellow Christians? Yes, God has given you a new heart. He has united you to Christ. You are in his mind seated with Christ in heaven already. You have the Holy Spirit working in you. But we're in this scruffy old body, not meaning to be too rude. But it still has sin in it, doesn't it? And it's still subject to the fall. And in the words of Romans 8, it's in bondage to decay. And we know it, don't we, that it does decay and it already is decaying. And God is keeping who we really are hidden until the day he chooses to reveal who he's made us in Christ. When is that? When will the revelation happen? The answer is simple. It's in, let's get back to verse 2 in 1 John 3. The answer is, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's so suitable. The sons of God will appear when Jesus, the son of God himself, appears. We will be revealed when one day he is fully revealed. By the way, this word revealed or appear, um, not in our English translations, but originally comes up six times in this passage. Two times are about Jesus first appearing on this earth. Two times are about when he will appear, his second coming. And two times are about who the true Christians are appearing. It being made apparent who are the true sons of God. Put that all together and it's telling us what Jesus appeared to do the first time, what he will appear to do the second time, will shape how real Christians live. And so it reveals who the true Christians are now. But let's not miss the simple good news here in verse two. And the simple good news is this. Brothers and sisters, you are going to see Jesus. As Job says, with your very own eyes, you, it will be you seeing him. And that sight of one so magnificent and so holy and so intimidating. And yet looking at you with a look of such love, that sight compared with the new birth that God has already done in you will combine to make you like him with his character and a share of his glory. Out of this world, love sets our identity, determines our future, and lastly, it shapes our lives now. Verse three. Verse three, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. By the way, the in him is in Jesus. It's not just saying, do you have this hope in yourself? 
Have you got this hope stored up in you? It's everyone who has this hope in Jesus, this hope of resurrection and life ahead in Jesus, now purifies himself as Jesus is pure. It's saying, if this is your hope, if this is what you're looking for, forward to, it will shape how you live now. You can't really be looking forward to that and have this as your hope and live just like everyone else. Uh, So I could only think of a measly little example. It's a measly little thing compared with our hope in Jesus. If someone, if you're expecting someone to give you a thousand pounds next year and then tomorrow they turn up and say, here's the thousand pounds, I'm going to give it to you early. If you were looking forward to that thousand pounds, surely you're not going to say, no, not now, thanks. Wait a year. Are you? Surely if you wanted the thousand pounds, you wouldn't say, no, don't give it to me early. I don't want it now. Can't think what to do with it. If you can't think what to do with the thousand pounds, speak to me afterwards. I'd be interested. I might try to have it off you. If you want it, why put it off? Or to give a different example, um, Augustine of Hippo, I mentioned a week or two ago. Children, do you remember what a funny name, Augustine of Hippo? Before he became a Christian, he was a very immoral man. And he had this jokey prayer, which was, God, make me a chaste man, but not yet. Chaste means moral. Make me a good man. Make me give up my sin, but not yet. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you he didn't want to be a chaste man. He didn't want to be moral. He didn't want to be good. Because if he did, he wouldn't say, but not yet. Let me have my sin. But really, he's saying, I just want heaven. I just want to avoid hell. But I love sin. If you say, I want to go to heaven, I want one day to be like Jesus. But today, I want to look at that filth on the Internet. I want one day to be like Jesus. But I don't want at the moment to restrain my gossiping tongue. I want one day to be self-denying like Christ. But for the moment, I'm keeping hold of these ambitions and don't you touch them. Well, you don't really want to be like Jesus, do you? And you wouldn't like heaven when you got there. And actually, it's worrying evidence that you're not really on your way to heaven and you need to repent and truly trust Jesus. And that tells us how our verses fit into one John. I normally start with this, but I chose today to end with this. How does this all fit into one John? Those of you who've been coming recently, do you remember what one John's all about? It's there in chapter five, verse 13. John tells us why he wrote this and what it's all about. Chapter five, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. All of this is written so we may know whether or not we have eternal life. And so that we may know, John's letter gives us three tests. Are you obeying God? Not perfectly, but are you striving to obey God? Are you loving your fellow Christians? And do you believe the truth about Jesus? Three tests, obedience, love and belief and specifically belief about Jesus, trust in him. Our verses here are part of the obedience test. This is a section in the letter where he's talking about do you obey? That's what this section is all about. 
Are you someone who has the evidence of eternal life? By this, you strive to obey God. Not you're perfect, not you never fail, but you're striving to obey God. So I hope you've been lifted up. That was the aim at the start, to lift you up with a little glimpse of the out of this world love of God. I hope you'll go away confident in this identity. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But God's word doesn't let us stop there. Don't stop there. It says, if God has lavished this love on you, if if you've been born again, God's work has actually got inside you. If you are looking forward to being with and being like Jesus, then then this must be true. Verse three, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray for that now. Father, please do send us all out from here into this week ahead, lifted up by your out of this world love, reassured by what manner of love, what country is this love from that you have lavished on us. Father, please send us all out into this coming week confident that we are a child of God. Yes, we are children of God because you say so and you set our identity. But please, Father, may we also go out into this coming week confident to Keep pure, sorry, committed to, determined to keep pure because of the hope we have ahead and the work you've done in us. Father, may we go out into this week ahead careful to fight sin. And may we have this evidence in our lives that we are your children, that we are striving to obey you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.